Growing up, Boston was my backyard, and who would have thought that I would have been able to find a skeleton in it, and one that I can actually learn from. Really? You're surprised? Isn't this the home of Whitey Bulger, the Winter Hill Gang? Weren't they depositing bodies everywhere? Well, yeah, but I was thinking more along the lines of skeletons in museums. I see. You mean legitimate skeletons, or at least skeletons obtained legitimately. Yes, and they can actually be used for educational purposes. I see. That, that does make more sense. So, are we going to be talking about learning from skeletons? Learning about skeletons and teaching about skeletons. This episode tells the story of the interlinked process of learning and teaching. We'll address some questions like how do we learn and what engages an audience. To help us answer these questions, we'll talk to a master teacher from England, a children's storybook author, staff and volunteers at the Museum of Science Discovery Center, and lots of children. This is also a story of a mystery skeleton. With the help of our guests, we'll try to reconstruct and identify an unknown skeleton while learning about the bones and anatomy along the way. Welcome to the Bone Lab. Today, we are at the Discovery Center, a child-friendly area within the Museum of Science Boston. We are here to meet youth staff member Margarita Forbes, who is going to guide us through an anatomy teaching exercise based on identifying a mystery skeleton. Alright, so I have a challenge for you guys. Can you guys find the head of the skeleton of this animal? So this is all one animal. Do you guys think you can find it? This? What makes you think this is the skull? Because it has a jaw. Eye, eye sockets, yeah. The mystery skeleton is just one of the hands-on science education activities at the Discovery Center. We talked to Rachel Flyer, an education associate for childhood development at the museum, about the strategies behind the design and implementation of these activities. Our staff and our volunteers are very well trained to let the kids be the scientists. That's really what our main focus is, is um, sort of inquiry-focused learning. Uh, most of what we do is ask questions rather than tell people. So which one do you think might come first to go into this socket here? That one. This, that one? What makes you think of that? Because this one's the bigger and stronger. Yeah, so, and also, most of the ones that attach have this big knob. This big knob? And then probably attach to something right here. Learning is really a process. It's really great to see when someone is having fun and learning. We do have a lot of learning moments on every scale, whether it's from um, the content point of view, about different kinds of shells or how magnets work, um, or even if it's just something like um, social skills that's really important, thinking about how to ask and answer questions and interact with somebody else um, or how to play with other kids. It's not just the content they're learning, they're also learning that science can in itself be a fun thing. Science is fun, right Ralph? Well, doing experiments can be fun. Sitting in a classroom hearing about science isn't always fun. Yeah, I agree. And like baseball or the guitar, if you want to actually learn, you have to use your hands and be engaged in an activity. You'll be surprised by how interested children will be um, in constructing something that can take, you know, 10 minutes to 20 minutes, um, which is uh, pretty awesome. All right, so we can look at the human skeleton to see what we have um, missing that we still need to complete. 
What do you guys think? The rib cage. The rib cage, yeah. And like, I think like these, these ones would curve over into the center. Awesome, yeah. Because these two, because some of them could attach together. Yeah, exactly. Margarita, we noticed that you let the children lead the exercise. Is that an easy thing to do? Is it something that you had to learn? Um, it was definitely one of the first things I learned. And I remember it was just, I, I'd never done anything like that, obviously, uh, constructing a skeleton. But it, it was one of the first things I learned and it was kind of intimidating at first. I remember um, when I first would be like in that area of the Discovery Center, I would kind of avoid that area <laughs> because I, I didn't want to deal with um, the stress of like trying to get everything right. Um, while still like interpreting and engaging the children, but now it's something I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with and something that I enjoy. When I volunteered at the Discovery Center, I remember working with the mystery skeleton. It was challenging, but also fun. It puts learning in a different context. The Discovery Center, since it is different from like being in school, you know, five days a week, it is something a little bit more different, a little bit more fun, and kind of a different way to learn, you know. They're using social skills, just like other other different things that they, they might not use when they're like sitting at a desk. So Simon says stand up. Simon says grown-ups do stand up. I take offense to that. Okay. Simon says put your hands on your skull. Simon says wiggle your phalanges. Simon says put your hands on your That's Sarah Levine. She's a professor at Wheelock College and the author of children's books that focus on bones and anatomy. She regularly hosts book readings at local public libraries. This is called Bone by Bone Comparing Animal Skeletons by Sarah Levine, illustrated by T.S. Boogie. Do you think that's his real name? No. I don't think so. What kind of animal would you be if you had no arm bones and no leg bones and all you had was a skull? Vertebrae and ribs, and that was it. Anybody think about it? Everyone think. Yes, what do you think? Snake. You got it. Very good. Hello, is this Sarah? This is Sarah. Hi. What got you interested in in writing children's books? Specifically, this book. I was teaching the college students how to identify the bones and realizing that they didn't realize that other vertebrates basically have the same bones. So I started expanding the questions, you know, what would, what kind of bone, what kind of animal would we be if our finger bones, if our phalanges go down to the ground, you know, just to keep them interested and engaged. And what I realized is that it would make a really good kids book. Do you have a different approach or process when you teach to say young adults versus children, or as you were saying before, depending on the context, the adults may not have that knowledge, so you would take the same track? It's very, very similar. I mean, the college students do fine without the puppets. The, you know, if I'm doing, if I have a very young group, like at the bookstore, um, I'll get out a, a, a turtle puppet, which they enjoy. Um, the, the pace is a little bit faster because of attention span, but the content is pretty similar. And I find that the young children, um, can learn, you don't need to say finger bones, you can say phalanges. They're ready to absorb all the new vocabulary, so it doesn't need to be simplified, it, it can just be what, it, what we want it to be. If you, if you watch these kids, it, it yeah. looks like they're having fun, and they're laughing, and they're having a good time. Yeah. Does that always translate to learning, or how do you know that that translates to, to learning? 
I teach them something one day and then the next day we're building on that like they they already know those five they already know those five plants that we went over or they already know those bones and now we're now they're it's leading to other questions so if they're engaging and asking questions about what we've already done and moving on to the next thing I, I it, it just seems inherent I know that it's happening I feel like people have to get up and move I play Simon Says with the college students by the way Perhaps they wouldn't like me telling you that, but I do. The getting up and the moving around and the taking the bones out of the box and make this making the skeleton on the floor. This is it's it's the interaction that I think helps um, make the information relevant and helps it stick. So yes, that I teach with questions a lot of time. Those are some interesting ideas in the context of informal education settings. I wonder how we could bring that into the classroom. To help us answer that question, Dr. Sumudu Lewis director of the UTeach program, a STEM teacher preparation program at University of Massachusetts Lowell, shares her perspective based on years of working in a formal education setting. Basically, with UTeach, we, we prepare our students to teach using the inquiry approach. It's changing the way we educate our educators, and that's one of the things that UTeach concentrates on. Uh, we do try to engage the students uh, through them asking the questions and exploring and uh, finding different ways in in approaching that. And the inquiry approach is meant to bring about this active engagement uh, through the utilization of the 5E uh, teaching and learning model. 5E basically is engagement, exploration, explanation, elaboration and evaluation. So. The idea is to engage the students right at the very beginning or at the start of the lesson. Basically ask students questions to pique interest, uh, to find out what the prior knowledge is. Introduce an activity that uh, confuses students somewhat that they want to go further to investigate it. So the exploration has to be designed in a way that it's not a busy task, but it is an activity that allows students to explore a science or a math concept. Uh, it can be challenging, um, but it's not a routine thing that students just do by following a recipe. But we do know that not every concept in science or math could be taught through the inquiry approach. So we try and find ways in which directed teaching could also bring about this uh, this engagement and it's more to do with involving the whole class in the activity. Hmm, I have a question for you. In the informal education setting, what is your opinion on having youth teach youth? You know, great to have teenagers teach young kids because when I see you teach in terms who are much younger and almost close to the age of high school students going in and the, and the kids do respond to them and they like hearing um, them speak because they are role models. It's like where the next stage is what I want to be in life, you know. And they're still kind of cool. Yeah, and they're Whereas cool. Like, I realize now, you know, I'm old, right? <laughs> Less cool. So um, sometimes it's nice to have the cool kids around. Right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what do you have, William? Do you have a really big bone or a really small bone? Yeah, a really big bone. So that could be a part of the light bone. Right. So they so, match. Mm -hmm. So this is a pretty long bird. Yeah. So yeah, we know it's a really big bird. So what animal do you think it could be? So you mentioned an animal earlier. Ostrich. Uh, what made you guys think that? Because, because of the long neck. The long neck. What like, else? And, and the, the short long wings. legs. And the short wings. They're very fast. Because they're very fast. And animals. they have short wings. Because they don't fly. They don't fly. Yeah. So this animal is an ostrich.
Well, we did it, Ralph. We solved the mystery skeleton. Yes, and I actually learned something along the way. Well, we had a good team. It was great to work with lots of young scientists who appreciate the fun in problem solving. You know, this story really makes me think the next generation has a lot of potential. Ralph, you are the next generation. We want to thank the Museum of Science in Boston, Margarita Forbes and Rachel Flyer of the Discovery Center, Dr. Sarah Levine of Wheelock College, and Dr. Sumudu Lewis of UMass Lowell for sharing their stories, thoughts, and experiences about education with us. Here at Bone Lab Radio, we do our best to promote scientific literacy in a fun and engaging way, and we hope you enjoyed our journey of discovery as we work to identify the mystery skeleton. We'd love to hear what you think. If you have questions and comments on this episode, want to talk to us about your favorite bone, or just want to say hi, we'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter at Bone Lab Radio. This episode was produced by our team, Jeannie Bailey, Jennifer Fish, Jenny Key, Kate Warwanowitz, and me, Ralph St. Louis. I am also our webmaster. Kate's sister, Michelle Warwanowitz, creates all of our art. Thanks for listening. We appreciate your patience with us during this past year. We still have some exciting episodes planned, and we look forward to sharing them with you. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends. Word of mouth is very persuasive. You should also tell us what you think. Give us a rating and review us on Acast, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For those of you who really like the show, we have a newsletter. If you sign up, you will be the first to know, and you'll hear it directly from us when episode 7 comes out. You can find a track list for all of our songs that we used in this episode on our blog. And we want to thank our generous sponsor, the American Association of Anatomists.